Well, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and uh, move in that direction. And uh, we're finishing up, as I mentioned earlier, this series on seeing Christmas from different perspectives. We've been looking at the original Christmas story from different characters and different people and the way they experienced it. We started with the angels and their announcement to fear not and hope has come and how their announcement talked about that Jesus was completely human, completely divine, but had this compassionate heart. And then uh, last week we looked at the shepherds and what they did once they heard this news. Once the angels showed up in their lives and broke into their quiet evening and said the Messiah is here. And we learned it boiled down to this. They basically went and talked about what they saw. They, they talked to each other. They talked to other people and they eventually talked to God about what they were experiencing and how we learned that talking about what God does in our life really makes it come alive. It just brings it, the truth, alive in our life. We keep things to ourselves. Sometimes they just kind of fade into the background. But as we talk and bring truth out with other people and with God and even people outside of the faith, it kind of brings the truth to life. And so today we're going to shift our focus to kind of some of the other stars of the original Christmas story. And we're going to look at the wise men and the gifts that they brought to the new king of the Jews, the Messiah. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever received a gift that you just didn't make sense? Like you just didn't know what to do with it. I'm not talking about like a bad gift, but a gift that just didn't like make sense. Like, what is this? Why did you give this to me? My grandmother, we called her granny. She had a knack for doing this. Like she would have all these great gifts, but then there was always this one odd gift. I remember one year she gave me a toilet paper dispenser with a radio on it. Like, I'm like, all right. I mean, I don't know that I'd sit in there long enough for like top 10 or whatever, but it's like she would find all of these unique gifts that just were kind of out of the, out of the blue. And you're like, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. If Katie was here, she said she would tell you that sometimes I do that. I remember one time for whatever reason, I thought it was a good idea to give Katie a lawnmower for our anniversary. <laughs> exactly. She was like, you did what? Like, I was like, but we needed it. Like, it was something for both of us. And uh, that didn't, that did not go over well. Uh, and sometimes we just give gifts that don't make sense. I, growing up, I was somewhat of a prankster and uh, still am sometimes. But one of the uh, things I used to do, we'd, we'd get invited to birthday parties, we'd have Christmas parties. I would go buy these random odd gifts and wrap them for people but put somebody else's name and who they were from on there. So I knew they were going to be at the party, and this person would be like, you know, hey, this is from Jay. And they're like, Jay's like, what? I didn't get this gift. And it was some completely random odd thing. And uh, I just love doing that. I mean, like seeing people's reaction when this weird gift shows up. And that's kind of what happens in this story. And, I mean, when you think about it, besides gold, like, I mean, who's going to turn down gold, right? But the wise men bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like, one sounds like a breakfast cereal, and one, we're not even sure what it is, right? So there's these odd gifts that we're going to look at this morning and figure out how these gifts, what they mean, and really how they were very appropriate and even symbolic for who Jesus would become. But before we jump into looking at the gifts themselves, I want us to maybe better understand who these wise men were 
and uh, the situation in which they were walking into when they arrived. So we're going to look at Matthew 2 and just give a little bit of a context. This is pretty much, most people would guess, about two years after the birth of Christ when the wise men show up. All right, so a lot of people, you know, we've, how many nativity scenes have we seen where, like, the wise men are right there with the shepherds and the baby? That That's not what the Bible says. They actually were there probably about two years. The star appeared, and then these guys traveled thousands of miles to show up, and uh, Jesus was, like, toddling around, and Mary was, I'm sure, excited to see three strangers show up at her house and, uh, and welcome them in. But that's kind of where we are in the timeline. So let's look at Matthew 2, verses 1 through 3 to start with. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. I love this part of the story. These three dignitaries, foreign dignitaries, show up in Jerusalem where Herod is king of Judea. He's king, he's the Roman ruler of the Jewish people in that region of Judea. And these guys come in, knock on his door and say, hey, we've been following this star. We're here to worship and celebrate the new king. And Herod's like, uh, that's news to me. Like, I'm, I'm the king. I don't know. I didn't have a kid. Like, there's no new king. What are you talking about? And you can imagine Herod's response. Like, this new king of the Jews? No, no I, I don't know anything about it. You know, who have you been talking to that I need to talk to? Like, he's starting to imagine maybe get a little paranoid. You ever had those moments like you walk in and people are talking, but as soon as you walk in, they stop? And you're like, uh, you talking about me? What are you saying? It's like, good, bad, what? You know, what is it? And around Christmas time, you're just hoping for the best. You're hoping they're talking about the Christmas present that they're getting for you. But, you know, sometimes you just get this paranoid feeling of, like, other people are talking. They know stuff that I don't know. I need to, you know, maybe Herod began to feel that way. But the truth is, I, I can kind of see his reaction, but there's another part here. It says, it's not just that Herod felt troubled, but it said also all of Jerusalem with him. And what I want us to see this morning is, before we get into looking at what these gifts do, uh, we're going to kind of see where people are. And I want you to see how easy it is sometimes for you and I to get caught in this cycle of despair, like these, like the people of Jerusalem did. I mean, they were hearing this news. It says here that as this news came, they were troubled. And it shows the state of the Jewish people at this time, that they had been conquered. They had de- been defeated for so long. They had learned to live in this captive culture, to become comfortable in their captive situation, that the news of a new king, a new regime, a new set of rules, a new culture that they would have to assimilate to was troubling to them. It kind of like they just got to this point where it was like, you know what? I've learned how to live in this environment. Don't change it. Leave it like it is. And they, they had had this feeling. I mean, just two years ago, this news about the Messiah had heard, like shepherds had begun to spread it, but that news had just kind of died down, and they were still living as captives. Nothing had changed, and they were living in despair. Have you ever been so lost in your despair that you've been blinded to hope? That you just have forgotten that there's something different than what is? Ever just been so caught up and so many bad things seem to happen and nothing good happens and you just get caught up that we actually begin to look at our salvation as troubling? 
That's what was happening. The, the news, the wise men showed up and said, your Savior, where is he? And all of Jerusalem was like, oh, we don't need another Savior. Like, you know, Herod, whatever. Who's the next king? And we can grow so accustomed to our current situation that we've learned to manage our pain and suffering and hopelessness that we just try to end up maintaining the status quo instead of risking change and thinking that things might get worse. We, we sometimes get to the point that we think nothing good to happen to me. Only things can get worse. You ever been at that point in your life where you just see despair? And typically we do this when a couple of things happen in our life. It's when we're always looking back. When we're just looking back and remembering how things were. The past was always better. And we focused on the good old days and think, what if we just get back to what was? And the truth is we glamorize the past sometimes and forget that the past had issues of its own. You know, the good old days weren't always the good old days for everybody. Maybe they were good for you, but bad for somebody else. And so we glamorize this, but but if all we ever do is look back, we're going to get caught in this cycle of despair. And I think that's what the Jewish people and the people of Jerusalem were doing, that they had, they had forgotten what was ahead, and all they could think about was what was behind them. But it's not just looking back. The other reason we get caught in despair is when we all we ever do is look in. When we look at our lives and see how much trouble we have, we feel like we're alone in dealing with this type of despair. No one has ever had it as bad as me. No one's ever dealt with this problem like me. No one is facing this kind of trial like I am. I don't know about you, but it is so easy sometimes to get caught in this cycle of looking back and looking in. And we get always caught up in this and we forget what is ahead. And we aren't paying attention to what could come and we just think of what has been. But our God didn't want the Jewish people to live that way. And he doesn't want us to live that way today either. Think about it for a minute. This star that had appeared probably right after Jesus' birth. It had, it had been shining over Bethlehem, pointing these men from thousands of miles away. It was bright enough to see and to follow to come into Judea and for them to come to the, to the, calice, the palace there and say, where is this good news of great joy? Where is this king this Messiah that you have been looking for. It was visible to everybody, but no one in the town seemed to take notice of it. You ever get that way sometimes when we just, we can't see the good because all we're doing is looking in and looking back and we're not seeing what God actually has, that he has provided salvation for us right in the midst of our despair. The, the star had been prophesied as a sign of the coming Messiah. It had been prophesied as a sign of hope. But yet the people closest to it, closest to it, missed it all together because they weren't looking for it. They weren't looking for it. You know, we can miss the work of God in our lives, too, if we're not looking for it. You and I aren't looking for it. God can be doing something miraculous right now in your life. But if we're not looking for it, we can miss it. Now let's look at Matthew 2, verses 4 through 8, and continue the story. So then it says, Herod began to assemble all of the chief priests and scribes of the people. And he inquired of them, where was the Christ to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And what I want you to see here in this part is how easy it is for others to destroy our hope, to get caught in the destruction of our hope. So this great news had come, and what did Herod immediately do? He tried to contain the story. He tried to take the hope for the people and hide it. And so, you know, everyone's not going to be happy about good news in your life. When something good happens in your life, everybody doesn't cheer. Everybody doesn't get excited. In our lives, there will be people that actively work against us experiencing the hope of God. And that's what Herod was doing in this moment. In this very moment, as the hope of God was coming to the people of Jerusalem, he was trying to stifle it. You know, it's not difficult to read between the lines here and see what Herod, you know, he had no intention of actually worshiping this new king. Right? We, we know the story. He actually eventually killed all the Jewish children under two years old, one of the, of the most horrible massacres in human history. It just happens right after this. It's recorded in the Bible. And it's recorded throughout history. But look at what he says. He says, you know, immediately when he heard this, what did he say? Tell me where the Christ was to be born. What this tells me is that Herod was not surprised. He knew about the prophecy. He knew that there was a Messiah coming. He was looking out for him. And so when this news came, he was ready to act. He was ready. He, he understood that maybe this would incite a revolt, and he wanted to know more about it so he could squash it. And then what did he do? He summoned the wise men secretly. right? He didn't want to let everybody know his motives. He wanted to let everybody know what he was doing. He wanted to work behind the scenes to kind of keep this controlled. And then the last thing he says is, hey, don't forget to bring me word of what you find so that I can deal with it in the way that I want to. Herod is one of those characters, and we have Herods in our life, that when something good is about to happen, when something positive, when we start to take a step, they come in and try to cut our legs out from under us. And the sad thing about our life is sometimes those people are the closest to us. Sometimes they're even family. And that's when it hurts the most. And what we've got to learn here is that we either need to eliminate or limit these types of voices in our life. I'm not telling you to cut off relationships. I'm not telling you to never talk to somebody again. But, you know, here, these are the type of voices that show up in our life today. Voices that always put their interest above others. We need to limit those kind of voices in our life. Our voices that always work to maintain control in relationships. They always want to be the powerful one in the relationship. Our voices that are always working to manipulate the situation for their own benefit. Our voices that are always trying to keep others from growing and developing. We've got to learn to limit or eliminate those kind of voices in our life. And while we can't always eliminate them, we can minimize their impact by filling our life with the voice of God instead. By filling it, by being around God's people, allowing his truth and God's word to fill our hearts and our minds. Sometimes all we ever hear is our critics and those that dissent against us. And instead, I want to challenge you this morning, like we're going to find out what the wise men did when they heard from God. They ignored Herod. They didn't do what he said. And instead, they listened to the voice of God. And did what God called them to do. As much as those voices are speaking into your life right now, I want you to hear this. God is also speaking into your life. He's speaking hope. 
He's speaking peace. He's speaking joy for you. And as you head into this holidays, that you may be about to enter some situations where you are around some of these voices. I want you to hear me. As much as they, maybe you can't eliminate them, would you overwhelm those voices with the voice of God instead? Let's look next at uh, the next passage here in Matthew verses 9 through 12. And this is where we're going to get to the gifts here. It says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What I want us to see now, as much as it is for to get caught in a cycle of despair, to have people destroy our hope, it is also just as easy to experience the gift of hope, peace, and life through Jesus Christ. And that's what these three gifts do here. They, they break us out of this cycle of despair. They break us free of these voices that are there to destroy us. And let's look at these three gifts right quick. The gift of gold. Now, these three gifts, if you go back to ancient East history, these were actually three typical gifts that a new king would receive, and they were always given for a reason. The gift of gold was given as a symbol of the opportunity that they had to be a blessing to other people. It was like, you are given a great gift. As a new king, you are given a great gift. What will you do with it? Will you use it on yourself, or will you use it to be a blessing to other people? Now, gold is never a bad gift to get, is it? I mean, if if you open up a present and Hey, a bar of gold. Great. I'd be excited about that. That's not a bad gift, but it's not just a gift in this sense that is to be used on yourself. Many people would argue that even this gift allowed Jesus to do the type of ministry that he did. It freed him up to travel for three years around the countryside and to do ministry with the freedom because of a gift that somebody gave him. He could go and heal. He could go and and do miraculous things for people because somebody gave him a gift. The Messiah brings hope, and that's what gold does here. The gift of God is this reminder that there is hope, hope for all. There's hope for the hopeless. There's healing for the hurting. There is life for the dead and salvation for the lost. There is hope for all. The second gift that we look at here is the gift of frankincense. And I don't know, I, growing up, this was, it's just always reminded me of Frankenberries. The, 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 anybody else remember that cereal? Good, okay, I'm not the only one. Like, I just thought this was such a weird name for a gift. What is this? But frankincense was actually a symbol of worship. During the time of Jesus, frankincense was almost as valuable, if not more valuable than gold itself by weight. But yet its real purpose, the purpose that they used frankincense for, was to burn it. And as they burned it, it gave off this incredible smell and this aroma that filled the room. And it really, its whole purpose was to be used up so that you could smell it and receive this gift. This gift was a symbolic reminder that a good king would sacrifice all for the people that he served. And man, we see this in Jesus. This idea is that Jesus came to bring peace. Peace for all people. That's what frankincense reminds us of. His life, his works, and eventually his death and resurrection is like the frankincense being burned up 
and leaving this beautiful, lasting aroma in our life. The life and work of Jesus is still impacting our lives today. It was completely used up and burnt, and it impacts, we still smell the life of Christ today, just like frankincense would linger and linger, and we can experience peace. The last gift is that of myrrh. This was a very unique gift because myrrh is actually a reminder and symbolic that even though you may be a great king, there's still something greater than you, and that's death. Myrrh was used as an embalming solution, an embalming fluid for uh, when you died. Now, what a what a horrible gift to give a baby, <laughs> but but like also then to a king, it was just a reminder from the very beginning: your life will end one day, your life will be done. You are not greater than time in itself, and you know this typically was not one of hope, but it was instead a gift of reality. And even for Jesus and his family, it was a reminder that one day this new king of the Jews would die and be buried. And while scripture doesn't say it, it's traditionally believed that the myrrh that they were given at this moment, Mary actually used that myrrh at the burial of Jesus. That his grave clothes were wrapped in that myrrh and he was wrapped in that. It kept the smell. It it preserved the body. But however, this gift, as much as it was a reminder of death at that time, actually became a symbol of life because of who Jesus was. That even though he died, and he died willingly for our sins, he overcame death and the grave, and through his resurrection brought life to all people. Imagine, if you will, for me a minute, that that stone has been rolled away, and these women are rushing into the grave on that Easter morning, and all they see there is the grave clothes. I want to tell you, they were not just overwhelmed by the sight. They were also overwhelmed by the smell of myrrh that had been left on those grave clothes. And in that moment when they're seeing and smelling, all of a sudden the smell of myrrh changed from the smell of death to the smell of life. And Jesus even overcame death and gives us life. That's what the gift of myrrh represented, is that each of us had the opportunity to have life, life for all of us. What an incredible idea that Jesus can transform even death and make it life for us. So let me ask you this. Jesus then, what I love that he does here, is he takes these gifts that were given to him, and he turns them around and gives them to us. His gold now becomes our hope. His frankincense now brings peace. His myrrh is now a source of life. And so my question for you today is this. Will you accept the gifts that Jesus is offering you in this holiday season. Will you accept these amazing gifts? Jesus today is offering you hope in the midst of your despair. Jesus today is offering you peace in the midst of your strife. Jesus today is offering you life eternal and abundant and an incomparable life instead of death. All we have to simply do is receive this gift. That simple. Jesus has taken these three gifts that he received through his life, death, and resurrection, has turned them and now given them to you. Will you simply accept what Jesus is offering you? Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me?
the stillness and quietness of this moment, I want to ask you to wrestle with this question that we just asked. Have you ever accepted these gifts that Jesus is offering? He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you life. And you can know about Jesus. You can learn about him. You can talk about him. But until you reach out and accept these gifts personally, you can't experience true hope, true life, and true peace. So this morning, I want to tell you that there's no secret formula. There's no special prayer that you have to pray to receive those gifts. All you have to do is spiritually open up your arms and receive. Say, Jesus, I, I believe in you. I trust you. And let John eleven, twenty five and 26 become true in your life when it says, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Would you allow that to become truth in your life this morning? Open up your heart and receive the hope. Receive peace and receive the life that Jesus is offering you today. Father, we come before you just with grateful hearts. Say thank you. Thank you that you came and dwelt among us. That God, you did not come as a selfish king, king that desires to take and just to create worshipers. But God, you came to give and to give to those who will willingly receive what you have to offer. And God, it's my prayer that maybe all throughout this room there would be people for the first time that are accepting that gift of salvation. We ask this in your son's name.